You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to the conservative conscience here on this crazy Thursday, June 20th, where my brain is just fried. As you could tell, there is so much flying on so many important issues. I could probably speak into this microphone for hours on end until I get hoarse on so many issues. All of our big issues, the courts, um, you know, God in the public square, Sanctuary cities, tons of criminal alien news, tons of immigration news. I don't even know where to begin. I've spent all this morning, it's around noon, I've spent all this morning combing through the Supreme Court decision on the Bladensburg Cross in my home state of Maryland. Um, And normally I would start off with that because my brain's been in that, but I'm going to ask you to rely on my written article for today. Maybe we'll do this tomorrow. Maybe we'll do a special show. But in short, see, I told you so, folks. I told you it was going to be a very narrow Pyrrhic victory that does not foreclose 99% of the other illegitimate lawsuits against symbols and prayers, uh, you know, Judeo-Christian heritage, complete violation of what the Constitution means, violation of rules of standing, good for Gorsuch and Thomas, as we predicted. Those are the only two who get it. I was very disappointed in Alito. I thought Roberts and Kavanaugh would write the um, majority opinion, but it was Alito, very mealy-mouthed, very narrow, even worse than I thought. You know, And, and it, there's a whole background to this that makes a lot of sense. So we're going to get to this stuff. Um, there's there's tons of stuff going on. Obviously, next week, Mark Morgan, acting ICE director, promising to finally start deporting Central American families. Guess what? With final deportation orders. What a novel idea to actually enforce the law. We're going to have a lot of content coming up on ICE and interior enforcement. We're going to have today a special guest on the acting field director for the ICE office in Seattle to talk about one of the cases. You know, I mentioned to you yesterday when I just blew my fuse, I mentioned the point that all the political class will talk about and the media, all they'll talk about is the so-called humanitarian crisis for illegals. They'll never talk about the humanitarian crisis for the people for whom they have sworn an oath to protect the American people. The humanitarian crisis of millions of criminal aliens that could easily be removed without a trial because they don't have a right to be here, and all of their future criminality, the people that they they will murder, rape, harm in the future, it could all be prevented. These people have no voice. These people have no voice. And I mentioned to you guys that I'm going to need help in your local areas. I'm not going to see all these cases to try to report as many of these as we can. And I really think ICE needs to get on the horn and and start publishing more data on this, which I know they have. And there are so many cases. Some of you have sent me. I want you to know I'm writing up articles on them. I would not have known about some of these without you messaging me on Twitter at armconservative emailing me at dharwitz at blazemedia.com. I really appreciate it. But there's one case that stands out that sits at the nexus of jailbreak, weak on crime in general, sanctuary cities, redressable, avoidable rapes and murders, and how victims of illegal immigrants, victims of crime in general, even the most heinous crimes, have no voice by people who claim to be for humanitarian aid and they're very human and they care about um, women and abused women and they, right all these people, this juggernaut of Kim Kardashian, the leniency industrial complex, 
the masters of the universe standing up for illegals, standing up for criminal aliens, standing up for sanctuaries, standing up for criminals in general. They're never there for the victim. Everything we've talked about, everything we've ever talked about has come to a head in this case in King County, Seattle. Or just outside of Seattle, King County, Washington. So briefly, before we bring on our guest, the ICE director from there, I want to talk about this case. The woman victim is obviously, thankfully, her name is still anonymous and unpublished, as it should be. But last September 26th, or it was, I think, over the course of two days and 24th to 26th, a 32-year-old wheelchair-bound woman, she's disabled, was raped by Francisco Carranza Ramirez, a Mexican citizen. She was raped twice. And the details are pretty nasty. You know, from basically the narrative from the court documents from as posted by the Seattle Post Intelligencer, this is what happened last year. I didn't get to what happened now. Just to start off, Carranza Ramirez first talked to the woman on September 24th, 2018. I think she didn't know the person. He allegedly approached her, talked to her, but then she said she had to pick up her two-year-old son and go to dinner. He met the two later at the restaurant where she felt uncomfortable throughout the dinner. Probable cause documents said he offered to give the two a ride home as they lived close and she accepted. When they got home, he walked into the apartment with her with no invitation. She told police he started touching her, telling her inappropriate and uncomfortable things like, I want to feel you. She said she was scared of him, too scared to do anything when he carried her out of her wheelchair and allegedly raped her in her bedroom, documents said. He left afterward and she said... She called 911 but hung up, feeling too scared. Two days later, he entered her apartment again after walking her and her son back from the mailbox. She said he pushed her wheelchair to the bedroom where he raped her. She told him to stop repeatedly until she convinced him she had to go to the bathroom. She called 911, but halfway through the call, heard him move and put the phone down. The operator reportedly heard the woman saying, stop and I'll be quiet. When deputies arrived, the woman was able to get away from Carranza Ramirez and deputies arrested him in the bedroom. So this happened on September 26th last year. I mean, it, it just like when, when you think you've heard everything in life and then it just gets worse, how someone could twice rape a wheelchair bound woman and carry her out and rape her in front of her two year old son. Now, I don't know. To me, a guy like that should get the death penalty. But, okay, you'd expect 25 years in prison. He was sentenced to 12 months, but got time served and because he pled guilty, but as part of the deal, because it's so doggone hard to land a prosecution, uh, land a conviction, so they took the guilty plea on third-degree rape. And it appears to be only one charge, not two. So, again, I don't have all the details, and I haven't had time to delve through it. But on June 13th, last Thursday, he was let go. Nine months in prison. So before anything else, just as a baseline, just as a baseline, it's important to realize how for every one person that these people claim are over-sentenced, there's 50 cases like this. The worst, most heinous rape case is nine months in prison. Now, really, the guy should should have been put into supervised uh, parole, like community um, detention type of thing for a few months. But the lawyer convinced the judge, this funny-looking judge um, from the King County Superior Court, Nicole Gaines Phelps, to let him go right away. And their rationale was, see, normally they're like, we don't talk about immigration status, even though it's the entire difference. The most important factor is, is someone a citizen or not? Because if they're not, that means that they're someone another country's criminal, and we don't have to deal with them, and we should get them out of here. Now, if you want justice for the victim, you do convict them, but it's important to know that, that if they're ever let out on bail, or when they're let out ultimately from completing the sentence, that they're not released and they can't harm people because they usually, that's what they do. So anyway, he was let go, and 
they normally don't want to deal with immigration status. They don't ask about it. They don't honor ICE detainers. They don't notify ICE when they're released. Nothing. Nothing. But they used his immigration status advantage and they said, look, the guy is homeless. He's going to fly back to Mexico. So you don't have to worry about community um, custody. He'll, He'll be back there. So the judge was like, Imagine this. The judge, they always say, oh, we're not immigration officers. We don't want to deal with that. She, Rather than turning him over to ICE or the prosecutor or the local sheriff or police notifying ICE, she made her, her own deal. Okay, you could self-deport, certify with me that on June 25th, by June 25th, proof that you're in Mexico. <laughs> right? Imagine that, just letting him go. So indeed, he's let go. He doesn't fly to Mexico. Two days later, he violates the restraining order and comes within a hundred feet, a thousand feet of the victim. And then, you know, like kind of glares at her. And then the next day, Sunday night, the guy came over, knocked her off the wheelchair, hit her in the head, strangled her in front of her three-year-old son. Police came, they found her on the ground with cuts, bruises, a seizure and a concussion. The wheelchair was overturned. She was taken to the hospital, and now she's in hiding because this man, Carranza Ramirez, an illegal alien, was released as a rapist after nine months, and he is still unbelievably, unbelievably on the run. And now we are getting a call. I'm actually getting the call from our guest. So anyway, as I mentioned, we're going to have a special guest on the show today to talk about this particular egregious case in Washington. But in general, what what I call the real humanitarian crisis on immigration that, that we're not talking about, the, the fact that there are so many criminal aliens left in this country, often being harbored in, in some of the most critical metro areas, where it, it's not more evil and it's not more problematic uh, and it's certainly you know, not any less or more painful to a victim if the person who perpetrated the crime is, is a citizen or not. But in terms of public policy and redressability, it is just so avoidable. And, and obviously, in this case, you know, had this guy been turned over, he couldn't have gotten out. We see this so often. So anyway, we have on the line Brian Wilcox. He is the acting director for the Seattle field office of uh, enforcement and removal operations for ICE. Um, he has been in ICE, I mean, since before it was called ICE, back in the INS days from the early 90s, lots of experience as an INS officer in, in Miami but before he went on to go to the Pacific Northwest. And with no further ado, Brian, it's an honor to welcome you for the first time to the Conservative Conscience. Um Thanks a lot, Yale. I'm uh, appreciative of the opportunity to uh, to to talk to you and explain how um, immigration enforcement, uh, for the from the ICE perspective, uh, works and and the prevails that we're facing today in doing our job. Sure, sure. So one of the things I just wanted to start out with is that. Um, a lot of these jurisdictions, when I think it's pretty clear politically, they want to treat illegal aliens as a protected class. They don't want to enforce any any immigration laws, even against some of the worst actors. So they, they make a lot of excuses. And one of the things they'll say is, well, we have no way of knowing anything. We have no way of knowing. But isn't it true, and correct me where I'm wrong here, that as part of the booking process, the fingerprints automatically go through the system, submitted to the FBI. It's compared against DHS databases. You guys get a, a query. It goes to um, your place in, in Vermont that, that generates the immigration alien response. And right away, you have all the biographical information, and you sent them, hey, this guy, it's an alien. Isn't that how that works? Um, oftentimes, that is how it works. I mean, procedurally, it is. Uh, however, if uh, fingerprints are run and submitted to the NCIC, and, and they, not, they are not in, in every case, uh, there's plenty of circumstances where local law enforcement may encounter somebody on a lesser charge uh, somebody that they've encountered in the past, a uh, chronic homeless person or something like that, where they, in fact, do not run those fingerprints, and so they do not get into the NCIC. 
but even in those cases where they do run the fingerprints and they go to the NCIC, which is the National Crime Information Computer System uh, administered uh, by the FBI, even if they do that and then they're sent over to the immigration databases uh, for the Department of Homeland Security, there's always the chance, uh, and in fact, it's, it's not a small chance, uh, a very uh, good number of these folks have not previously been encountered by federal immigration authorities. And so they will not, uh, they will not hit for us. We're not going to be aware uh, of that person uh, having been arrested and their fingerprints run because they simply haven't been encountered by us previously. And so we don't have their fingerprints. So we only get notice through an automated way when the individual has a previous immigration encounter. And that is quite frequent, uh, but also there are plenty of uh, instances where the person does not have a, a prior history. And so we're not going to be aware of them uh, being in the jail uh, strictly because their fingerprints are taken and, and submitted through the computerized system. So, so you're saying, this is very important, I want our listeners to understand this, that um, – if you have a first timer, a guy that comes in, certainly there's plenty of them coming in right now, the last number, you know, number of months, and they were never previously encountered, um, and they're arrested. If if you don't have a county that cooperates, you won't even know that the individual is arrested to even issue an ICE detainer. You won't even get off the ground uh, that, with that. Exactly. That is correct. And in this particular case that uh, we are talking about, that is the situation. He has no prior immigration history. And so he did not hit on our automated systems. We were not aware that uh, he was in the local jail until after this became news with him being released and uh, re-victimizing uh, the, the person that he uh, committed the crime against previously. So, so wait, I mean, you're telling me you had a whole saga here, nine months, a trial, sentencing, that whole period of time, it was never given over to you that this guy was, was here illegally. Uh, that is correct. Uh, though, although clearly the locals know that he was in fact, uh, from Mexico, and the judge that uh, allowed him on his honor to uh, go to Mexico rather than face the community supervision was aware of his nationality. Wow. I mean, to me, they're so into biographical information. Many times you can go online, you could see a jail roster, arrest mugshot, and they're very into you know, all, these, all this information, one of them being, let's say, race. And to me, I mean, that's not important. Like, what does that matter? But, this, but the citizenship is... It, that that's everything because if they're if they're a non-citizen that means that you know either if they post bond intermittently throughout the you know criminal justice process or they're released at 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 some point um if if they're american i mean there's not much you can do about that and you got to hope they don't reoffend but if they're not you can get them out of here and and just foreclose any opportunity for them to commit a crime uh, yeah, that's absolutely correct. And and this scenario that we're in today is not uh, a situation that uh, uh, it, I wouldn't say that it's a recent phenomenon. It's been going on in, in this state in, in Washington uh, since around 2010. Uh, but prior to that time, uh, we worked, uh, we, uh, we have a program, it's called the Criminal Alien Program, and it is the largest program that uh, enforcement and removal operations operate, uh, the, the bulk of my manpower and resources are dedicated to the criminal alien program. And in the criminal alien program, I have officers assigned to all the jails and Department of Corrections facilities in the states of Washington, Oregon, and Alaska. And their job is to actually go to these jails and uh, interview the people that are in the jails and determine if uh, any of them are, in fact, uh, foreign nationals and if they're amenable to immigration removal proceedings based on their, their, their status or their criminal activity. And the criminal alien program in, in 2010 
in this state. I had better than 90% of my entire officer corps actively working the jails and in the jails to the extent that we even had offices uh, in some jails for my officers. So they had a working relationship with the jail staff. They were in the jails every day. They were talking to the detainees that were in the jail and and identifying people that uh, might be removable from the United States. But that has all been blocked uh, in this state and largely the state of Oregon as well. Uh, Initially, back in 2010, by King County itself, King County is the uh, county that the city of Seattle uh, Mm -hmm. is is in. And King County, through policy, started blocking our access to the jail so we were not able to gain access to these uh, detainees and and talk to them about their immigration status. And and then they formalized that a little bit later into an actual ordinance that um, effectively uh, barred us from from having this access. Now, along with the criminal alien program where we could actually go in and and talk to the uh, detainees, we also had access to state databases, the law enforcement databases. Um, so in these instances where perhaps somebody was arrested and they did not send the fingerprints to the NCIC, uh, we would nonetheless know that uh, they had been arrested. And so we would know that there might be a person of interest to us that was booked into these jails. That access has been cut off to us by the state of Washington Uh, It was done last year by executive order of the governor, and recently the state passed a, effectively a sanctuary law that that bars any uh, sort of uh, open cooperation with with ICE at all. We cannot access their databases. Um, So we really, as you mentioned earlier, there are, depending on the jail, uh, there are sources of, uh, public sources of information to see who is in the jail but we are now relying on this sort of public access rather than a, a cooperation between law enforcement agencies. So just to recap, you're saying you, you can't share the databases. They kicked your live guys at a, at a jail. So they themselves don't want to ask citizenship or notify you. So you have to do it on your own, but then they don't let you go in the jails. Then even if you... So you're going to miss a lot of people, but then even the ones you wind up finding on your own, you lodge a detainer and they don't honor it. And then even further, correct me, correct me if I'm wrong here, even if you're like, all right, so we'll go out and try to you know, get them on our own, which is obviously never preferable because it's, it's more volatile, it's less safe, it's, it's in the community rather than in a controlled environment, and you go get them. But then because, as we see in this case, I was just speaking about with my audience before we brought you on this this terrible case, um, it, it's so complicated with the, you know, the supervised parole, the time credits, the early release. There's no way, even if you confirm that a guy is indeed um, is sitting in the jail on, on, you know, a rape or whatever the charge is, he's an illegal alien, he's a criminal alien. You have no idea to say, all right, hey, June 22nd, yada yada is going to be out. Let's be prepared because you have no idea when he could be released. Uh, yes, that is correct. And, and as you pointed out, we are, d- despite all of this um, lack of cooperation, we do identify people in the jails. Um, the ones, obviously, that do hit off our databases. And so we know uh, definitively that they have a prior immigration history. Uh, we we become aware of these things, uh, and and I have officers that are working in the fields, and, and and let me just say that you know this this isn't this isn't the law enforcement officers themselves. This is this is not the officers in the field, or or even the managers that uh, that are the problem. They sure. like everyone in this line of work. We are only trying to do our jobs. We're trying to uh, to to. Uh, protect the community. Um, and these are political decisions that are being made by, you know, people at a higher level. Yeah. Uh, so we become aware of people that are in the jails that are amenable to immigration uh, enforcement. We will put the detainers on them 
And as you pointed out, uh, more often than not, uh, these jails are not going to honor the detainer and they're not going to even give us a phone call, which is all I've been asking for, for, you know, for a number of years now to the jails in the, in the state, just give us a call, give us a heads up, uh, give us enough time to, to get a couple of guys over the jail so that when you release them, we will be there to take them into custody. Uh, and that's uh, largely what we're asking for. And, and, and if that doesn't happen, and uh, then, then, of course, my officers have to go looking for these people and they, they have to go into the field. And so I mentioned earlier, I had better than 90 percent of my, my workforce working in the jails looking for criminals. And, and that is what we do. That's it's a, it's a match made in heaven. It's it's literally a match it, it, made in heaven where, you know, you are exclusively by definition getting right. people that are arrested for a crime. Um, you know, you could we have a very sharply divided country. Some people might want a lot of immigration or less immigration. But these are literally other countries, criminals that were arrested for another crime and, you know, it's just so rich. You just get them out and, and you don't have to deal with, um, you know, one of the things I that always gets me is that DOJ did, completed a massive, massive survey, tens of thousands of cases in states. They concluded that 83% of criminals recidivate within 10 years. I mean, it's the 10 doing the 90. It's the small numbers doing of any population that do all the crime. So it's those people, all those crimes that they're going to commit with Americans, it's tough. They get released often, in my view, pretty short set, short sentences, as we saw in this case, putting the immigration issue aside. But at least the foreign nationals, you, you I mean, I, I, could you get in their mindset of why they would be opposed to that? Uh, no, it, it makes no sense to to me at all. I mean, the the mantra uh, for for the the folks that are advocating locking us out of of uh, you know the the jails and and cooperation from from local law enforcement is, is that their sanctuary policies encourage victims and witnesses to report crimes without the fear of being turned over to ICE and and being deported. That's largely uh, what they're saying. But of course, that doesn't make any sense. It, it's uh, we're looking for criminals. We prefer to look for them in jails. And and so unless the police are are in the habit of arresting and booking victims and witnesses into the jails. And ICE is never going to know through working the jails about them. But that is what the the state's new sanctuary law does. Uh, It prevents us from accessing the jails, from accessing the law enforcement databases that might give us an indication that somebody is is, uh, uh, in a jail. And it keeps us from uh, being notified when when this person is uh, going to be released. And uh, as I said, uh, you know, we had 90 percent of our population work in the jails, you know, in in recent times. And now all of my officers are working the street and working the street really is is exactly the opposite. Putting us into the street to go after these uh, criminals. It's a danger. It's anytime you're operating in an insecure or unsecure environment. Uh, it's a danger to the officers. It's a danger to the person being arrested. There are bystanders involved. The secure confines of of, of a correctional or, or detention facility are definitely uh, the place we should be. And of course, if we're not in the community, we're not going to encounter the other individuals that might uh, unlawfully be present sure. in the United States. So we're, we're not looking for them. We don't want to encounter them. But if we're going to have to follow the criminal alien into the community, a byproduct of that is going to be encountering other illegal aliens. Sure. And and, and the law is the law. I mean, you know, they they are deportable and, um, you know, every country has to have sovereignty. And like we're seeing the results when we don't have them, when we don't enforce the laws. But I was shocked. And I'm wondering if you could speak to just a little bit in your area I was shocked at how pervasive this is. Um, well, your colleague from Northern California told me that just in two months of Santa Clara County debating whether to continue their sanctuary status, uh, at least on the notification component, uh, following the murder of Bambi Larson by someone who was arrested 10 times, 
10 or 11 ICE detainers ignored just during that period where they were debating it and then ultimately decided against <laughs> changing policy. The, he lodged 176 detainers in two months. They were all ignored. There are things like arson, assault. Are you seeing that in Oregon and Washington too, that even just violent criminals, they will not notify you about? Uh, yes, yes, indeed I am. It, it varies um, from, from one area to the, the other. Uh, but now with this uh, state law in, in effect, and, and it doesn't totally go into effect right now. There's a bit of a grace period of about a year. Um, but this state law, when it's in full force and effect, will, will flat out bar uh, any local jurisdictions from any sort of discretion about uh, cooperating or, or sharing information uh, with, with ICE. And uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a really onerous uh, step that they've uh, taken. And I, I want to also point out that there was a state law, and it had been on the books to my recollection from the 70s, uh, that actually required state jailers, mm. uh, anybody detaining someone, uh, to ask the nationality of everybody that's booked in. And if they told the, the locals that they were foreign born to notify immigration authorities, that was the state law. It was a long standing straight law, and it's been totally ignored for almost the past decade. And with this new law that they just passed, they deleted that. They got rid of that law. So they were not complying with their own existing state mm -hmm. law for many, many years before this new sanctuary law came into effect. And I would argue, and obviously I don't, you know, expect you to talk to the constitutionality of things, but but you know, there's the necessary and proper clause where Immigration is one of the core functions, you know, protecting the sovereignty of the entire union, core functions of the federal government. Um, but there's no federal land and state land. I mean, you kind of do, but the, the federal government, the union is comprised of 50 states. So if every state were to play hide the ball and say and foreclose every avenue of you affecting and executing a core federal constitutional power, in my view, that violates the necessary and proper clause because you have to have the necessary and proper tools. So you could say, maybe I don't do A and B, but you can't, again, not notify, not give access, uh, records, jail, not honor detainers when you get them on their, uh, get the info on their, on your own. Um, and, I'm hearing a step further, if you could speak a little bit to the status of this, that they're going so far to try to somehow block access from the King County airport so you could deport people? Um, well, yeah, what they what they did, and, and of course, we are considering uh, not only uh, ICE and, and Homeland Security, but in conjunction with the Department of Justice and, and the Department of uh, Transportation, um, we are considering what our legal steps are going forward with this business with the King County Airport. Uh, but effectively, what King County did is they passed an ordinance. And, and again, it's not it hasn't totally take it. Well, it's taken a, a effect. But what the ordinance says, and I'm and I'm not an attorney, so I'm, I can't uh, speak to it in legalese. Uh, but effectively, what they've done is is they have announced that we are a sanctuary uh, jurisdiction and these are our core values and this is our airport. And there are businesses on this airport that are licensed by the county for having business. And if their core values and business values don't align with ours, then we are not going to renew, renew their leases. And so basically what they've done is they put all the businesses at the King County Airport on notice that if they continue to work with ICE, uh, that they're, when their leases come up for renewal, they're not going to renew them. And in doing that, that has caused uh, these businesses that we rely on to fly in and out of that airport to not do business with us anymore. And so we have been locked out of the, the airport. We can't land there. Uh, we've tried a number of other airports in the immediate area, and we've gotten the same response uh, from them. So we've been obligated to move our operation out uh, of three a three-hour drive away to the Yakima Airport, which is in eastern Washington. Mm -hmm. And 
that presents a, a logistical problem for us. It's, it's a three-hour drive across a mountain pass that uh, in the winter, I believe last year, there were 65 days last year that these passes were closed. <laughs> and, and so certainly, yeah, exactly. When winter starts to, to come upon us, we're really going to have a logistical problem, and it presents a danger driving uh, people three hours versus 30 minutes uh, three hours through sure. desert and, and, and mountain passes versus the city. It, it's definitely not an ideal situation. And we're really trying to return uh, to the King County airport because that's the best place for us to be. For, for, for your agents in particular, I mean, you know, pound per pound when we have God knows how many illegal aliens in this country, but um, I have, and this, this is very old. This is from a 2013, DHS funding request that, um, where is this? There are 1.9 million known criminal aliens in the country at the time, according to DHS report. Um, they said at the time, 900,000 aliens were arrested every year. And that was just based on the, you know, secure communities. Um, like we're talking about a lot of, a lot of you in the, key markets with a lot of illegal aliens don't have access. So that was a very low, that was a low ball count people that were arrested for crimes. So when you have to prioritize your very small force, I mean, the entire ISIS smaller than the NYPD and half of its HSI investigations. And, you know, you don't have nearly as many deportation officers. So you're going to pound per pound be getting the worst type of guys. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty dangerous to travel with them for a number of hours when, you know, a lot of things could come up. Um, yes, it is. It, it certainly in, increases the, the risk uh, to, to my officers and, and to the, uh, you know, to the, the people that we're uh, dealing with as well. Because, you know, with, uh, uh, you know, an expanded opportunity to, to you know, try to uh, prevent the removal, uh, they just have that much more time to, in, to figure out a way uh, or means to to interfere with the process. Sure, sure. Um, going back to just this case here with Francisco mm-hmm. Carranza Ramirez, one of the things that I was shocked about, I mean, sadly, we've seen this happen a lot. I mean, just the devastating consequences of attacking that very rape victim that he victimized, you know, just a couple of days after being released and not being turned over. That That's pretty stark, a stark reminder of this trend. But one of the, the uniquest aspect of this, I couldn't believe, so typically, the politicians or the officials in sanctuary areas, their line is, see no evil, hear no evil. I don't want to hear about immigration. We're not immigration officers. You go do it. I don't want to deal with it. But in this case, they played both sides of the fence. So the the lawyer and the judge agreed to this, used his immigration status as a tool to say, hey, no, there's no need to you know do uh, – a, a community um, custody here. Just, just get he. He is no home here. He's going to go to Mexico. He's out of here. So it's almost like she creates her own ad hoc deportation program, self-deporting. Hey, you get on this plane, certified to me by June twenty fifth. Some evidence that you're in Mexico. So to that degree, they get involved in immigration, yet won't notify ICE, and the guy let go and almost kills this woman. Um, yeah, and, and you know, I'm glad you uh, brought that up because uh, I, I, you know, I, I see this as an attempt by the, the judge. You know, bottom line is the state sanctuary laws and policies ha- have now caused this state judge to effectively try to protect the community by acting as an immigration judge. <laughs> uh, you know, she's trying to do the right thing, left with very few choices, but the guy's already uh, made it known to to the state that he's from Mexico and, and would go back to Mexico. And, and so I, I will say that they were, you know, she was forced into a, a corner in this thing. And, and but for these sanctuary laws, he would in all likelihood be in my detention center right now going through immigration removal proceedings and, and not have been able to have this opportunity to do what he did. And, and, and to, I, I don't know if you could speak about an ongoing investigation, because I know you're probably involved, but I'm assuming he's still a fugitive. Well, he is, as far as we know, we're, <laughs> we're looking for him. But again, if, if he's picked up by someone else, maybe they won't tell us. 
Oh my gosh. I mean, so so that, that that's what bothers me that that you know, there's different politics, but then there's a degree of just downright civil disobedience. And one of the things I know that your colleagues as well as the US attorney in Massachusetts Massachusetts have been dealing with is downright where they started to see this case where a state judge would literally harbor an illegal alien, um, not just kind of with a ruling, but to literally shield them uh, from ICE. Are you seeing a similar circumstance where they'll try to rig, you know, almost, um, almost sometimes I hear that they, rather than being released from the courthouse on bond, they'll ask to be sent back to the jail so because they know they, they won't cooperate, so they won't be released, or they'll find ways to ensure that you can't get them at the courthouses. Are you seeing that? Uh, absolutely. We, we have seen that here. Um, we've seen it in Oregon. There are a couple of cases that I can't talk about because we're considering uh, what our next steps may be legally. But yes, it's definitely happened here in Washington and in Oregon. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I know you, you got to go soon and, and you've been very generous with your time. I'm just going to pass along a note here. Um, and just from where I sit and kind of, you know, really studying this issue, the ins and outs of it so much that the American people, what you're saying, the American people don't know this is going on. Um, you have a lot of heinous crimes. I'm finding a lot of markets a lot of metropolitan areas and they're committed by foreign nationals and it goes unknown it goes unreported um one of the things and and you know you don't have to comment on this but it's just a suggestion that i was thinking cbp every month they put out data and and it's kind of helped in driving the narrative people understand the situation at least at the border what i'm surprised by is that ice doesn't have a monthly report this number of detainers were issued. This number of detainers were denied. Geographical distribution. And then most importantly, a breakdown of the criminal offense category for which the ICE detainers were lodged. Not that they were necessarily convicted, but that this number of ICE detainers were lodged in the month of May for um, homicide charges, DUI manslaughter charges, rape charges, assault. I am just shocked at the numbers that I do see how pervasive the criminal alien, the criminality among a lot of them is. And I just feel that that's not getting out enough. And you get, I mean, it's not a question. I'm just, you know, kind of passing right. on that, that point. It's just, cause I'm even shocked at, at how pervasive it is when, you know, often I, I, I even miss a lot of these cases. Um, yeah, well, we've, uh, we, we have done that in the past from, from time to time. And, uh, certainly the, the numbers are, are significant and I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I will take that into consideration and, and pass that on to, uh, leadership sure and, and and we will certainly our audience will certainly uh you know get involved as as well um i i just felt so sad reading the comments from the local media that did a you know anonymous or off-camera interview with this unnamed victim and thankfully her her name is still unreported and that, that that's a good thing uh just that she feels no voice there, there's no voice and like you said you know she she said very clearly it's not the police that failed her it, it's the political system, and it just I, – I look at the army of tens of thousands of pro bono lawyers for illegal immigrants. I look at an empire of NGOs fighting for weaker on crime sentencing laws, but someone like this woman has no voice, and yet the case was so redressable. Um, so on that note – one of my final questions I have for you, are you seeing a trend now where because of the border issue with the border agents tied down and the cartel's ability to smuggle in those who don't want to meet an agent who pay them more money to get strategically smuggled in, are you seeing in your area them downright coming back? Like you'll deport them last year and now with this crisis, 
boom, they're back. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know that the crisis is, is contributing. Uh, it's, it's my experience, uh, having done this for more than 30 years, that uh, the, the folks that uh, we deport uh, each time that they are deported or the, the current uh, terminology is remove them from the United States, mm-hmm. uh, they, they find a way back. And uh, it's even, even today and, and throughout these, uh, these years, I have personally seen the deportation of individuals and, and encountered them as, as, as recently as two weeks after they were deported. It, it's still uh, relatively easy for those that are committed to, to cross the border. Now, this crisis might be affecting that in that the Border Patrol and, and, and uh, DHS uh, resources on the border are so focused on the mass of people coming in that are actively looking to be encountered so that they can apply for asylum. In the meantime, you have to ask yourself, uh, what about uh, the, the folks that are not uh, trying to be encountered, that are trying to avoid uh, being uh, detected? And, and so I think that uh, those that are experienced in, in coming into and out of the United States uh, continue to to do that with regularity. Sure, sure. As we talk about on this show, um, a Border Patrol friend of mine and I did did a on the record report on this. Uh, just in one day, in one county, Star County, Texas, they had twelve hundred asylum seekers or you know family units um, surrendering themselves, and they counted on their cameras three hundred forty seven gotaways, what they call gotaways, and they they just couldn't get them. And those were just the known right. ones. Um, and and you really wonder, as you guys do good work and 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 do these removals, how many of them are just coming right back? Um, and uh, could you just tell us? I don't know if you could reveal this, but has your office had to detail staff to the border because of what's going on and, and lose some of your manpower? Uh, yes, absolutely. We've, um, I'd say. Uh, better than 10% of uh, my my officers have uh, been de- detailed to the or are currently on detail uh, either to the border or other parts of the country in support of the border. Wow, so that's just another example of how you know the border problem is is the the synergy of interior and border enforcement the two play off each other. Um, it, it, I'm assuming I, when I'm just looking at the numbers, I've seen that on the last couple last couple of months, you've been averaging, and this is nationwide, not your office, about seven thousand interior deportations per month. Um, again, I don't, I haven't seen new data on the number, the estimate of just criminal aliens. But just if you just focus on criminal aliens, as of 2013, there were 1.9 million according to DHS. Don't you guys need a heck of a lot more agents? <laughs> Absolutely. If we're if, if we really want to uh, make a dent on this problem, we, we need significantly more resources. Wow. And and uh, sadly, yesterday in the Senate appropriations uh, bill, they passed not a dime for ICE. Um, mm-hmm. Well, let me modify that. There were a couple of dimes for medical care and humanitarian aspects for illegal immigrants, but nothing for repatriation. Um, wow. I mean... I'm just thinking 1.9 million, and, and I'm sure that that's a low ball estimate. Um, you multiply that by that average recidivism of any criminal, and the number of victims <laughs> like this woman that could totally be avoided. You know, Americans, it's kind of look, it's tough. Unfortunately, it's tough. There's a lot of in and out. It's tough to keep them locked up. They could be out of here. I just, um, I really think relative to any other police officer, uh, ICE agent, you get the most bang for your buck. Because if I send out a police officer to arrest someone, maybe I'm not going to have probable cause to hold him. Maybe I'm not going to land a conviction. And heck, if I could, who knows, he'll be out in a couple months. Here, you guys have the ability because you know sovereignty, there's no affirmative right to be here. So if you're not trying to land a criminal conviction, to just simply remove him from the universe of criminality. I just, I mean, to me, that's just a real underappreciated aspect of the power of ICE over almost any other agency. 
Um, yeah, it, it is an asset, and certainly in other parts of the country where we, we have better cooperation with the locals, uh, it, it's known to them. Uh, it, it's uh, used to uh, the advantage of, of the, uh, the, you know, the, the community and the, uh, the taxpayers. Um, it, it is unfortunate that, uh, that we're, we're, you know, we're, we're not working uh, together uh, to to further the you know the the safety and the interests of the community, and, and and if I could add, I just want to say that you know the the argument that immigration law is a federal responsibility, and, and, and states are not obligated and should not be burdened with enforcing federal laws, to to me is a disingenuous argument. <laughs> we're we're not asking for state and local law enforcement to proactively go out and enforce immigration law. All we are asking for is a a modicum of cooperation. Just, I mean, just don't I'll, harbor. Yeah. Just don't harbor, uh, Mr. Wilcox. Exactly. I mean, th- that is that is such a brilliant comment because I'm hearing, and and again, as you can tell, I'm very into the legal side of this. I wrote a book on immigration and law, stolen sovereignty, and what I'm shocked about is that a lot of people want to say, Daniel, Tenth Amendment, you can't commandeer a state. Commandeering is when. You like there were aspects of the Disabilities Act. It's a massive regulatory burden, or the Medicaid expansion. It was talked about in in uh, um, the Sibelius case, or if government takes a power they they have to leverage a power they don't have, like with um, Dolby, South Dakota. They said if the fines against the states would have been too prohibitive, you can't say, "Hey." I'm going to cut off your transportation funding if you don't raise your drinking age. Well, drinking age is not up to the feds. Immigration is up to them. And they're just saying, just don't hide them. Just don't. Exactly. You know, you're not asking them to do 287G. If they want to, God bless them. And there's good, you know, I know a lot of good sheriffs that are that are engaged in that to, to help out more. But you're not demanding 287G, right? No, absolutely not. I mean, just... And, 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 and what you're saying, just to reiterate, right? It's not just oh, the um, hold them for us, although that would be nice. But they're not even. You're saying, all right, if you don't want to hold them, at least just notify us. Exactly. I, my office is 20 minutes from the the biggest county facilities in the state, King County uh, Jail. Uh, we're 30 minutes from the Pierce County Jail. Uh, the biggest facilities in this state are are right here next to my office. All I really need from them is just a timely phone call. You call me 30, 40 minutes, uh, an hour before this criminal is getting released, and my officers will be there to pick him up as he walks out the door. And, and, and that, and, and, and simply access to information on who they have detained, give us reasonable access to actually talk to the detainees and question them about their immigration status. I mean, oftentimes they won't tell us. They, you know, and, and we don't, you know, we don't compel them to, but frequently enough when we get in and we, and we can talk to the person and they, they will admit, uh, uh, you know, to uh, who they are and where they're from and, and, and all of that. If we could just have the access that we used to have, um, it, it's no burden on them. It's not, you know, it's, it's not having them work for us at all. I do the same thing. And this is, if I have detainees and I frequently, and, and if I have and, and to, to say that, if I took the same posture that the state is taking here, the detainees that I, because I have detainees in my detention center uh, under my authority that are wanted by the locals for various, various, mm. uh, you know, crimes. And I'm frequently turning them over to the locals so that they can prosecute them. But they're not offering me that reciprocity. They're not doing that. Wow. And, I, and I will have to say that there's been a couple of times, in fact, that we have turned people over uh, to King County and they didn't they turned around and, and released them. They didn't even <laughs> bring them back to us. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm reticent to continue doing that. Um, sure. Nevertheless, in, in the in the best interest of justice and, and public and, and, and the rest of that, if it's a serious uh, crime that they're being accused of, then, then certainly I want justice to be served and I want to turn them over to the locals. Um, but I'm under no legal obligation to do so. Sure. And no, I'm looking I see what... for that kind of cooperation. 
Wow. If, if you know that that's what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, like I say, all things equal, the lower level stuff. If it's just, you know, general, the guy's a gang member, there's general problems. You want him out of the country. Don't, don't bother with the lawfare, try to land the conviction. But if, you know, certainly in a case like this, where, you know, you rape a victim, you got to have justice for that person. Um, but you're saying like, you know, if it's a state offense and, and, and they're the ones that w- would be responsible and you think they're going to let them go. I mean, then the next best thing is for you just to make sure that they're not put back on the streets. Exactly. Wow. I mean, this is, it's mind boggling. I, I, I thank you so much. I'm sorry for going overtime here. You're very, very generous with your time. Um, I really hope you could come back again and just, I barely scraped the surface of what I wanted to go over. Um, but this was very informative as always. Um, please come back again and, and stay safe. God bless you with your work. Uh, well, well, thank you very much for having me. And, and uh, certainly I'd be glad to come back anytime. Well, there you have it, folks. That was Brian Wilcox, old INS agent out of Seattle. Now he's ICE agent. And boy, what a riveting story. So, folks, this is the ultimate, ultimate humanitarian crisis. Just millions of criminal aliens in this country that if you're arrested once, usually you're committing a bunch of crimes. That's just how it works with American criminals as well as foreign criminals. All of that is avoidable. If the American people would hear this interview, it's it's not right or left. There's aspects you could debate right or left, but this is just not. It, it, would, it would realign politics in America, it would realign our policies. But nobody in Congress wants to do this. The Republican-controlled Senate refuses to make the sanctuaries an issue. It's so easy to explain. I mean, you heard that. Also, it's important to know what you heard from him. They don't know a lot of it, a lot of what happens. And the bigger the sanctuary is, usually that's where they have more illegals. And they're not even going to know about it. So just in terms of quantifying the degree of criminality among illegals, even when we can get numbers, they're just based on those that were already in the system. But all the first-timers that commit crimes, they're not going to have that. Or most of the time, especially if they don't have people in the, in, stationed in the jails. So that, that, that is just crazy. This story is crazy. But again, think about this woman. Think about how even people on my side of the aisle, all these think tanks, organizations, they're all for the criminal. Oh, we over-sentence people. Really? Look, I don't want to blow up like I did yesterday. There's just too much going on. There's the crazy stuff breaking with Iran, shooting down our drone. Iran keeps upping their attacks and we don't do anything about it. We'll try to broach that next week. Like I said... There's so many lessons on the court case today, the Bladensburg Cross. I could do a whole show on that. I'm going to link to the article in show notes, um, hopefully if it comes out in time. There's a lot more going on in immigration. Um, DHS put out data on the number of criminals they caught this year. You have massive waves of Haitians coming in in Del Rio. Haiti is is they have cholera, they have typhoid, they have malaria, they have everything there. Um, I it it's just that's the humanitarian crisis. Do Americans not matter? Isn't the purpose of our government to protect Americans? And I love how he talked about the state business. They can't have it both ways. States are forever enforcing tons of federal laws. Why, when it comes to immigration, which logistically you need the states not to actively like spend 20% of their budget doing it, but just not to hide them. I'm telling you, I, I once wrote a whole article on why this is not commandeering the states. It's not a 10th Amendment problem. It's ridiculous. All of a sudden, everyone becomes into you know states' rights when it, when it, when it comes to something that's emphatically about the whole of the union. So there's that, there's, gosh, there's tons of stuff. My brain is just exploding. I cannot even keep track. Related to this, there's the case in Buffalo, New York, where an Erie County clerk, after the state said they're going to mandate driver's licenses for illegals, he said, I'm not doing it. I want to try to get this guy on, Michael Kearns. 
He says, I'm not doing it. Good for him. Because you know what? If states could harbor illegals and violate federal law, then you know what? Some counties have the right to say, look, I don't care if you pass a state law, but if you pass a state law to harbor people that are inadmissible to this country, remember, you have to cross cross the threshold of federal sovereignty, the whole of the union sovereignty, before you cross state sovereignty. They don't have a right to do that. And look, I'm a law and order guy. I don't want people disobeying laws. But if a state passes a law that violates federal sovereignty and the sovereignty of the whole of the union, remember, we said this before from Madison, from Roger Sherman, many other people, uh, Joseph Story, Scalia reiterated this, that the reason why immigration was given to the feds was to prevent states from doing this, not to take away their power of enforcement, but to take away their power to be fugitives or act as fugitives, harbor fugitives. So we're going we're gonna to cover a lot of both border and interior enforcement stuff as well as the courts. Gosh, it's going to be a busy show tomorrow. Um, I'm really thankful to the ICE office in Seattle for getting this done. A lot of them are very reluctant to to talk to people like me and, 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 and go on the record. Good for them for doing that. Hope to have him back and others, you know, similar ICE officials to talk about what's going on in their areas of the country. Look, you know, someone's got to stand up for the victim the American citizen who just simply wants our government to just do its core job of protecting us. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all. Send me your tips at drhorowitz at blazemedia.com. Let's do more of this. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.